Yes, it's me, Mike Stone, and this is the Backseat Driver Podcast. It's the fastest, it's the friendliest, and it's for all the family. The Gas Shocks 116 Trophy and 120 Coupe Cup are the fastest growing race series in the UK, taking in six one-hour races and eight sprints at all the top circuits. Visit 116trophy.com to find out more and get yourself behind the wheel. I'd like to introduce to the Backseat Driver Radio Show a young man called John Mayhead, who is editor of the Haggerty's UK Price Guide. Now, it's safe to say, even if you do not insure your classic car or your interesting car or your collectible car through Haggerty's, whoever you insure with, they are in all likelihood will use the Haggerty's Classic Car or Interesting Car Price Guide to value your car. John Mayhead, welcome to the Backseat Driver Radio Show. Mark, thank you. Yeah, it's really nice to be here. And thanks, yeah, we, that's really why we started it, to be honest. It's a, it's supposed to be an online resource that can help everybody, both in the UK and the US, whether you want just to know what the price of your car is, whether you're you're looking at buying something or whether you're just looking at those cars at the top of the market that we all like to look at and thank god how expensive are those <laughs> yeah we're glad people are using it now how did Haggerty's come into being yeah it was started nearly 40 years ago in the united states by frank Haggerty, who uh, actually started off an insurance company for classic boats and then realized that lots of people needed cars covered, classic cars covered at the same time. And so it has expanded out there to be the biggest classic car insurer in the States. And then we set up over here in in the mid 2000s. And yeah, it's it, it, we've moved really from being a classic insurance company to being a classic car and collectible car we do events we do media and obviously valuation is a huge part of what we do now over the past couple of years with lockdown especially since people have have been at a loss as to what to spend their money on classic cars have become shall we say a hobby of interest the interesting thing is over the past two years the value of classic cars has grown exponentially to a degree what could be considered a cheap and affordable entry-level classic car is still an entry-level classic car but it's not quite as cheap and affordable how do you keep track of and how do you determine the value of these cars for the simple reason they seem to be going up on a daily basis yeah it's true that's a really good point of all the values that we have in the guide 54 percent of those rose in 2021 compared with 2020 value so there's more than half of the values of and we track twelve and a half thousand different models in the uk about three times that amount in the states there were lots more people also using our guide in the uk that almost doubled in 2021 compared with 2020 and there's a, as you say, there's a huge amount of movement going on. What we do is we try and get as many data sources as we can. We try and get experts in specific makes and models. And then what we do is we combine all of that information on a quarterly basis. And then we, we I edit it, 
put it all together and make sure that we're peer reviewing all those so we it's more than one pair of eyes gets to choose what where the values have changed and then and then we adjust it accordingly i think it's really important also to note that a lot of these guides other people's guides maybe use auction results as a as the basis of them um we're, we're really aware that uh, auction results only account for an eighth of what's going on in the market everything else is tends to be dealer prices private sales and we're really fortunate as an insurance company that we get to see some of those values because people are insuring with us now you mentioned auction prices now it's not unusual for a car to come up at auction <clears throat> and you'll find two or three bidders keen to own that particular car whether it's got a certain history on it or whether it's a particular brand or whether it's a particular model or a particular year but you can see the bidding wars especially when you watch the television programs how much effect does that have because if you're not careful in a bidding war a car can achieve what could be considered to be a fictitious value yeah that's a really good point as well if we were to just plot auction values uh, then those would would skew it completely out uh, and um, i know other other people I know do do it that way um, but that isn't the true value of that car and also we I had a guide so they are guide prices um, we have four different values we have condition four which is a fair which is basically MOT and taxable car but roadworthy all the way up to condition one which is you know pretty much the best in the country it's a concourse car yeah and so what we do is with our auction results we we try and either have somebody there representing Haggerty at the auction so they can see those cars or if we can't do that we try and do it as you say video online or at the very least look at the catalogue and our aim is to get as many as possible condition rated within our values we know that is roughly where they sit yeah now that person at the auction can also explain those outliers this is why this is a manual process it takes there's about 10 of us in the uk that do this and more in the us and it is a very labor-intensive process but it means that those anomalies or outliers we can look at them. i was doing a try of gtv6s recently yeah and most gtv6 values are between about six or seven grams and about 20 25 something like that yeah that's the auction range in the last year one sold at the nec for just over forty thousand pounds <laughs> but but that was a single owner car it was a it had had a i think it's something like a, a, a it's extraordinary it had a ninety-seven thousand pound rebuild rebuild cost and then it was a truly exceptional car so what we do is we say does that mean every gtv sorry every gt6 is 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 valued at that at the top end no not at all but does that mean that all top end gt6 values have pulled up a little bit then yeah probably yeah so uh, it, it is literally as i said it's a literally across the board because at one point in time and i know haggard is a specialist in this they insure what you would call the million pound cars the truly desirables the rare the concourse winning at the Steely Looks and at Goodwood and places like that. But this has now cascaded down to the humble Mini, uh, the Ford Escort. I mean, I spoke to a dealer a few months ago who 
was on his knees looking for Mark 1 and Mark 2 escorts. He said, if you know of any, he said, I will pay you top dollar for one that's falling in pieces. It seems to be even the most mundane classic is now escalating in value. Yeah, we had probably picked up on this a few years earlier than everybody else because the other thing Haggerty is known for, other than insurance, is the Festival of the Unexceptional, which is our celebration of those cars that were on everyone's driveway back in the day. So there's Escorts and Cortinas and Cavaliers, and those are the those cars that were everywhere and were the best sellers. But actually, because they were the base level, then nobody kept them. They didn't consider them to be collectible cars. The vast majority were scrapped, and and now to find one which is even there is extraordinary. But then something which is maintained or has been restored to concourse condition is absolutely unbelievable. And the cars we get there are amazing. We understand that, and I think rarity has a value all of itself. I think the other thing is that there has been a what we've seen is is a big change in demographics because we can see the ages of people insuring vehicles and there's definitely been a shift to more younger people and and what i'm talking about younger is 30s and 40s rather than 60s and 70s who are who are are buying and spending money on especially collectible and classic cars and and one thing that that does do is that it means that the cars that are important to that generation are probably different to those that that came before. We have seen some of those kind of gold standard classics actually either flatten out in terms of value or even lose value a little bit. Yeah. Um, In the last year, pre-1970 Aston Martins were in that, generally in that that area. E-types, 2.7 RS Porsche, those ones that were the absolute highlight. If you grew up as a kid, in the mid-1960s with a little corgi toy of, of the DB5 from James Bond, and you wanted one of those, then the chances are you've either, if you've ever got to the point where you've earned enough to be able to afford one of those, you probably either own, you've either had one or you still own it, yeah. or you're never going to get to that point. <laughs> and so the interesting thing is where diff, where the whole sort of world of, of what used to be classic cars is now sort of collectible cars. It is is much wider or enthusiast cars that's another way to put it because you've got there are loads of cars that even 10 years ago wouldn't have been considered to be of interest no. to drivers whereas actually now they are and that's one of the things i'm doing on the price guide is just making it wider so our most up-to-date cars now are, are 2018 2019 not very many of them to be fair and the majority of them are still pre 1990 but a lot of 1990 cars now really starting to take off in terms of collectability now the one thing i've noticed i commentated a lot of classic car shows and you talked about the age groups one of the categories that i introduced was 1990 to 2005 and the one thing i now find is we get things like mark two mark three golfs coming in and they are owned by people in their late teens and up to mid-twenties. So there is a whole new demographic of people who, what they consider a classic, a few years ago wouldn't have been considered. How do you, I mean, you will have to take these into account because if you get a young owner, I mean, there's one particularly young girl who is a golf fanatic and she regards her Mark Three Golf 
as a classic in every respect. So how do you go on working out that a Mark III Golf is now a classic? Um, we're approaching it in from a valuation point of view. Is I don't really draw the line. I'm just trying to expand it out as best I can. Yeah. And what I'm not is I'm not a used car or the price guide isn't a used car price guide. It's it's for something which is col- collectible or, as you said earlier on, a weekend car. It's the sort of cars that people cherish. It isn't their daily drivers. It's something which sits in the garage, you polish it up, and at weekends you'll go, yeah, I'm going to go out on that. Now, that might be a, a 997 Porsche 911. It might be a an immaculate Ford Sierra 1.6L, or it might be a, it might be a pre-war... Riley or an MG or something like that it really doesn't matter so as far as I'm concerned I want to try and cover as many of those sort of cars as as possible in terms of Haggerty as an insurer we are definitely moving to try and look after those people in terms of giving them the policies that they need my role is not on the insurance part of the business but I know that we're trying to add up with getting more young people covered we're really keen on getting younger people into the industry and also as enthusiasts and in- encouraging that all of this is part of just trying to get them to to be able to get hands behind the wheels a good example was my son is 19 he's got an msa license he's we're doing some hill climbing well done young man yeah in i uh, got a 1946 mgtc and i i've got my son insured with me in the car with him but to drive on the road so that we can get we can get younger people out there experiencing older cars and he loves it and it's brilliant it's brilliant for everybody i think now the interesting thing was you mentioned that your son's driving an old mg as i said i read an article of yours the other night and there seems to be a shift of young people becoming interested in pre-war cars because a lot of pre-war cars apart from the value of them tended to be regarded as shall we say the niche interest of niche owners what do you put the fact that young people are starting to take interest in vintage cars what do you put this down to they are a fascinating thing if you've never driven a vintage car you've got to for the sheer experience of it yeah, absolutely. I think that I'm a complete convert. I, I, of all the cars I've driven, I would say pre-war Bentley and an MGK3 are my two highlights. And it's getting used to the torque and the steering and the brakes and things like pre-select gearboxes and all those little anomalies that that actually, once you get your head around them, are fantastic and really add to your experience of driving i think i think there are Mm. i think i don't know because i'm i'm 50 but my if you ask my son why he would get into these i think he would say that there's possibly more exposure in on social media now to younger influencers driving older cars and i also think that there is that there might be this sort of there is enough distance now that that there isn't that kind of link to the people who were as you say it was a very niche area and there were very niche or there was a perception from the outside that they might be a certain type of person or that they might be older and remember that car from you or something like that and i think that has stopped now because with 
there's Eventsy, Prescott and Shelsley and places like that where you can see this and you can actually see these things are amazing and I know a lot of people who go to the members meeting at Goodwood will say that the uh, that the pre-wall races are their favourite races because yep. you look at the flames coming out the side of the Beast of Turin and the, the chain drives and everything else and you get all these bizarre cars going out there and all competing and it's absolutely phenomenal it's phenomenal as a racing spectacle and i think all those sort of things have added up so there is all of that i think also there is we do a thing called called the bull market okay and we've just done one and and actually not my car but the tb was selected uh, as a as a, an example of a car that is actually eligible for all sorts of things and not that expensive yeah so we you could theoretically you could get down to the million million if you've got enough money and there's all these events that actually have become really the thing to do and a lot of them are, are building on that that pre-war when it racing was proper racing yes thank you very much indeed sir <laughs> when cars were car and men were men and women were women Absolutely. because the ironic thing was back pre-war you look at drivers like Helly Nice, there were a lot of very accomplished and very successful women racing drivers. These days they keep saying, oh, there needs to be more women in racing. We need to get women involved. Back pre-war, there were a lot of women involved and they were very good at it. From a pot of tea to TT motorbikes. From a classic English breakfast to a full serving of classic cars. Bridge House Tea Rooms is the Northwest Premier Classic Car meeting location for cars, bikes, tractors, and owners' clubs. So, no matter what your automotive appetite might be, visit Bridge House Farm Tea Rooms on their Facebook page or call John and Alicia on 07980 44221 for show details and to reserve your own table and parking space. Yeah, absolutely. You look at Brooklyn's pre-war, extraordinary groups of, of women racing there. The the Dancing Daughters, they're called. I think it was a group of four who yeah. entered BRDC 500, was it? I think there's all these all these things that, as you say, were uh, we were... Uh, it, it was normal. We, we definitely encourage everybody to get involved at whatever age or gender or whatever. It, it's... That's the whole point of Haggerty is to in encourage people just to enjoy and continue the, the, the enjoyment of driving. And that's really why we exist in it these days. Now, you mentioned it earlier on, the Festival of the Unexceptional, that I know attracts things like the Triumph Acclaim. And other, these were cars that, as like you said, they're on everybody's driveway. At times, people wish they weren't on the driveway. But you've got, OK, the Morris Marina that Top Gear have made rare for the simple reason they kept destroying them. The Mark II Jag, since the famous television programme The Sweeney wrote one off every week. But you have things like the Fiat 1800 Saloon that I know for a fact there is only one roadworthy example in the UK. And the Datsun Cherry, once again, there's only one or two roadworthy examples in the UK. How did the Festival of the Unexceptional come about? For the simple reason, I think it's a fantastic event, although with great regret, I've never been able to attend it. You've got a permanent invite, it's, and I suppose I would say this, but it's 
almost certainly my favourite event of the year. And the reason being is that it is every single person who's there who remembers those cars has a has a an emotional connection to them. For me, my dad always had Cortinas, and so if I get in a Cortina, I can remember the smell. Yes. I remember what the the headlining looked like when you lay down on the back seat. I can remember what the the door opening, how that felt, and it. And there's an emotional connection. It takes me back to when I was there, and I think that how it came about really was just thinking about that as being a really part, really important part of motoring heritage. Yeah. Interestingly, that. Would you say a Nissan Cherry? I'm pretty sure a Nissan Cherry won our first ever. Actually, um, that was back in the day when the before Nissan manufactured them, but they were called Datsun, the famous Datsun, yeah. little rabbit, which is what Datsun means in Japanese. It and we had, so we thought, oh, we'll do a celebration and see how many we can get hold of, and maybe do a little concourse. And actually, it was uh, hugely successful. I was at second one onwards i've been to all but one since then and we get we try and get 50 in the concourse and then we have others in the car park and the cars we get are absolutely extraordinary as you say real one-offs one one there's one in the country or one there, there was a in the car park the year before the lockdown walking around in the car park and there was an alfa romeo 2300 rio which uh, is an, an exceptionally rare car anywhere in the world but especially here yeah. no one existed and there was one just in the car park you've got it's when you get three allegro estates all turning up and you've got to whittle it down to which one is going to go into the concourse every year we have a we have to sit down one day with all the all the applicants and work out why well, which ones they're going to get through and so, um, there's usually about 200 applies for 50 places and it is a real challenge <laughs> that you look at these things and you that is extraordinary but we tr always try if it hasn't been seen at the festival of the unexception before we try and we try and get those cars in so it's not all the same every year and then it really is a case of just trying to find not just those with the best restoration but those with the best story yeah. um we've had cars that have been owned from new and have been patched up and not much more we have had some really random things like we had a super brat a few years ago which was one of the winners and it was amazing condition and the chances of something like that which is a workhorse getting through and then staying in that sort of condition and just tiny not being so funny the subaru brat was farmers bought them and drove them yeah. back into the ground. They, they didn't sell them. They were lucky if they were actually good enough to scrap them. It was what exactly. was the bi-recreational all-terrain vehicle. What an amazing little vehicle it was. But it's like I said about other ones. They were virtually disposable cars, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah, I think most of them ended up in a hedgerow somewhere. <laughs> left to rot. This was absolutely amazing and there's all of that and it's i think it's all just part of haggerty is mckeel haggerty who's throwing haggerty's son who now is the is the boss in the states and his his big thing is we will support enthusiasm for motoring in in every way we can and and this is this is why that if, i know you said we had a reputation in the past of ensuring the top end cars and i think that is that that's completely changed. We we're really happy to not just ensure everything, but 
talk about everything, write about everything, put values about, because it's all part of this amazing enthusiast group that we have in this country for cars, which is part of our heritage. It's And it's really important to keep it going, especially these days. Now, the one great thing that a lot of young people struggle with, no matter what they buy, is the sheer cost of insuring a car. I know I have friends whose sons and daughters have they've bought them a car, and at times the insurance works out to more than the car. How do you go on trying to counteract this and get young people behind the wheel? Yeah, as I say, so the insurance side of the business, I'm not on the insurance side of the business. So uh, I will tell you what I know from my perspective, which is if you go, if you've got a daily driver, your car that's outside in the driveway, you're insuring that all, all day, every day. Whereas what Haggerty do, because we specialise just in those cars that are weekend cars, really, then we know that there are, you're going to look after that. You're going to be almost certainly a member of a club or something like that. You're going to go and do things like that. Your mileage is going to be less. And so actually, in that sort of respect, the risk goes down. So that's why a dedicated classic car policy tends to be a lot less than a standard policy for the same car. Yeah. That That's one thing. We try and do... We try and get... We, we try across the whole industry, really, to support those things that we think would, will help driving flourish. And I think that, as I said, we try and get young people into cars. We try and cover more different people to get into cars and bikes. We support events that we believe that will be be good for the, for the whole hobby and, and organisations. Uh, one recent thing has been the the HCVA, which we are supporting wholeheartedly because again it's exactly the same it's the same um you know same things that are important which is maintaining the hobby and and actually getting things out there which kind of sometimes counteract some of the the received wisdom about what classic cars are like some people will say oh there's no catholic converters and they're dirty and all this sort of thing actually they're not the amount of carbon that you kick out of a classic car and a limited policy is tiny. And I think yeah. the HCVA said that it's less than a mobile phone every year. Yeah. There's that sort of thing. There's elements of industry support. We obviously try and support drivers, but also our events are, are key. We're at so many different events. We're building more events all the time. And the whole point of it is to get as many people feeling comfortable, feeling happy and enjoying driving. Now, just out of interest, with certain things that are happening along with these clean air zones and ultra low emission zones classic yeah. cars are exempt from a lot of this and also people are now starting to drive them as daily drivers does this have an effect on the value during the summer months or from spring till the end of more or less the end of summer mid-autumn i drive my morgan 44 as a daily car would this have an effect on its value if it was used as a daily vehicle? It would really depend on how you're using it. There, there are definitely peaks during the year. The 
last year we so we update the uk haggerty price guide four times a year and our summer ones always especially over lockdown showed an increase in uh, for example uh, vw camper vans because there was this everybody being locked down everybody as you say sat there thinking what we're going to don't know if we can go abroad and then suddenly there was this kind of demand for actually you can kill two birds one stone here get something which is car but also it's letting you get out there and and maybe doing something a bit more interesting so there's things like that um in terms of using cars all the time from an insurance point of view we we you need a daily driver really but using the car as much as you can using a classic car as much as you can is i think is, is that this it's a really good thing because yeah. you've got not only is it getting it out there so people see it which i think is really important you're obviously making use of it but also from years of owning various different cars i know this the worst thing i can do with it is leave it in the garage yeah because then it doesn't work properly when you want to go and come and drive it when it's sunny so i my mg i last week it was cold and dry wasn't cold enough to get grit on the road i still drive that i drive it all year round it also lives in the garage but but I know that's the whole point. That the, the one thing I don't understand, and I've been to a lot of auctions and lots of sales and things like that, are, are, are delivery mileage cars. I, 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 people are buying that as a commodity, not as a car. Yeah. And that gets bought and put away, and and then somebody else buys it and puts it away. And <laughs> if you drive it, then you've defeated the object of, of the car, which is the, the reason why it's special, which is it's zero mileage. Yeah. And for me, my favourite cars are ones that you drive and and they're, they're dented and fly blown and everything else. Um, I think I've seen lots of really nice cars over the years, and probably the nicest were the nicest one was a the Colton Ferraris that were sold by H and H about five years ago. In I don't know if you remember those, but they were sold on behalf of the RNLI. Yeah, and the owner had owned them for decades and driven them all over everywhere and they were a little bit battered and, and, and yeah, they were just beautiful cars because they'd been used and used like they're supposed to be used and that for me is that's what car, classic car ownership is all about it's about getting out there and using them now before we go one question that's a two-parter what is the classic you need to buy now before it goes off the charts and is there a particular time of the year to be buying one uh, okay what should you buy now and i get off asked this a lot and i always say buy what you want to own yeah because for two reasons one is that if you buy with a car with the aim of it, uh, of it being an investment then then there's loads of things that could happen it, it could that something might happen mechanically to it you might decide you don't like it you might try and sell it for a profit and then not make a profit and all of those things can have a negative effect on your ownership yeah whereas actually if you buy something because you love it then that that's a brilliant reason to buy a car and if it goes up in value or it, it goes up in value enough to wipe its face then brilliant and, and if it makes money in the future again then fantastic but if it doesn't then it doesn't really matter and if you look at the, the money we spend on other stuff in this day and age and, and you think even if you own a car for a few years and it costs you a thousand quid or something then uh, for me that would be useful so that's the first thing i say i think if you want to buy something now before they go out of reach which is where we 
do this bull market from. It's not as an investment. It is now are the reasons you should be buying these cars. And I think actually you should probably read the Haggerty bull market. There's a you need to check that it's the UK one rather than the US because otherwise there'll be lots of FJ series Toyotas and things in it. But there's we've chosen all sorts of cars there from from the very old to the very new yeah. and. For me personally, I would say there's a big increase in in nineties cars and early two thousands cars, and generally those will fill into the either you post the cars, so they were, they were the ones that were up on everybody's wall, or the ones that were like the your best mates, so like Ridge cousin had one. Yeah. So <laughs> it was going back to my era. It was the XR3i and. And yeah, things like that. So I couldn't afford but none, none of my mates could, but you knew somebody who could. <laughs> the M3, that sort of thing. And I think there there are those, but I think, yeah, I start at the bull market. It's always a good place to, to look. In terms of time of the year, it's a hard one, really, because there, there aren't really that sense of bargains there used to be where it was it was quiet in the winter everybody locked the cars away and you could i remember 10 15 years ago you could go on car and classic or the other websites and go and find something which was a real bargain at that sort of time of year and i think the move online last year we so this is worldwide but we tracked over a billion it's in dollars but because the American uh, side of Haggerty checked it, but over a million, uh, sorry, a billion dollars worth of cars being sold online on online auction, uh, which was more than double for the year before, and we're expecting it to double again this year. So the move online has been extraordinary, and for the first time this year in the UK, we saw uh, the market by bottom sold at F40 for over a million pounds. So somebody online, dedicated online auction, bought car for over a million pounds which is amazing so there is this constant viewing now of cars and i think so the reason other than the thing i said earlier on about maybe some vehicles like the camper vans tend to ebb and flow depending on the year just keep a lookout i think is the best thing to say and make sure that you do your research use the price guide by all means and then keep looking out for the car that you want so the basic the rule of thumb is there's no good time to buy a car if you see one you want and you can afford buy it and make sure you insure it with Haggerty's. John Mayhead, it's been a pleasure and very educational chatting to you. Thank you very much for joining me on the Backseat Driver Radio Show. Thanks, Mark. No, it's been brilliant. Thanks very much for your time. Thank Cheers, you. thanks. Bye. Bye, bye. beaten on price never beaten on service whether it's cars bikes or commercials Hoddy tires are the best in the business and when it comes to tire expertise and advice to supplying the correct tires for your vehicle specific requirements nobody comes close to david lakin and the Hoddy tires team so give them a call on 01200 613 192 or visit the website at hoddytires.co.uk